Again, so glad you are here today, especially if you're joining us. Uh, thanks, 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 thanks for taking some time uh, to, uh, to check out West Bowls. Hopefully the worship was a great blessing to you. Thanks to the, uh, the praise team, the praise band. I mean, you add a violin to the praise, Queen. There's just something special, buddy. Something special just happened. So thank you, my friend. Love having you up there. Love having you up there. We are currently in a sermon series here at West Bowls entitled Afterlife. In the series, we are talking about heaven. Uh, this place that exists on the other side of the grave that Jesus said he is personally preparing for those who believe. And the Bible makes this promise that if we are to fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts on that place, this celestial place that is yet to come, it will drastically affect how we deal with and handle everything here in this place. That's what we're trying to do in and through the series. Uh, questions. If you think about it, questions are a huge part of everyday life, are they not? Uh, just ask the parents of a toddler. Toddlers ask thousands of questions. Actually, it's just one question, but they ask it a thousand times. Why? Why, 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 why? Studies have actually shown that toddlers only ask 300 questions a day, but you throw in a little sleep deprivation and stress, and it sure feels like 10,000, does it not? Uh, athletes are asked a lot of questions and they are asked some of the dumbest questions I've ever heard by the same sports reporters again and again and again. It's like, how do you get paid for asking such an idiotic question? Uh, how did it feel to be embarrassed publicly before a worldwide audience uh, right now on TV? How exactly do you think it felt and how, how do you think I should respond to that question right now? And if you don't have a toddler or if you aren't a professional athlete, Chances are you're still asked a lot of questions, right? Maybe a friend, a, a neighbor, a coworker, even your spouse. What time is it? What's the weather like? What's for dinner? Where are my keys? People always have questions. There's a lot of questions out there that we have and that we ask and that we are asked. I recently read that Google now processes 40,000 inquiries a second. That's a lot of questions. That's 3.5 billion searches a day, 1.2 trillion questions a year. We got a lot of questions, do we not? I came across a list of the most frequently asked Google questions back in 2016. Here they are in order. Number one, what is Pokemon Go? <laughs> number two, what is the Electoral College? And close and associated with number two, number three, how do you become a Canadian citizen? <laughs> That's what we asked last year. Uh, it's safe to say that we all have questions about this life. But I think it's also safe to say we have a lot of questions about the next life and the afterlife. Uh, following each one of my messages in this series, I've had someone or two someones or ten someones even come up and say, okay, I understand that, but what about this? We've got a lot of questions about what comes after this life. And although we don't have time to get to every one of your questions, here are my best attempts at answering four. Four FAQs about heaven. Uh, throughout the series, I've been utilizing a few resources. Randy Alcon's book, Heaven, uh, Rick Ashley's sermon series, Amazing Place, and a guy named Erwin uh, Lutzer. Yes, Lutzer's uh, series on the afterlife. I might have butchered that, but I've been using all of those resources. So I'm going to be uh, relying heavily upon those guys today to help answer four of the most frequently asked questions that are out there as it pertains to heaven. Number one, what happens when I die? Immediately, when I die, what happens the second that I die? You may have heard me tell the story before about a young business owner who was opening up a new branch, a new location. His closest friend was excited for him and wanted to support him, decided to send some flowers to congratulate him on this great accomplishment. 
When the friend arrived at the opening, he was appalled to see that his floral arrangement had a note with it that said, my deepest apologies, rest in peace. Angry, he called the florist and complained. The florist was was so upset and said, I'm so sorry, I must have mixed the order up with another. But look on the bright side, somewhere in this city, a man was buried under a wreath that said, congrats, best of luck in your new location. But if you are a Christian, best of luck in your new location. That's pretty true, is it not? There is a lot of truth to that statement. So the short answer to the question on the screen, what happens when I die, is simply this. Uh, You will, your soul, I should say, will immediately go to the present heaven. Your soul immediately goes to a place called the present heaven. Now that's a power-packed statement. I've chosen each of those words on purpose. Let me walk you through it. Hang, hang on for a second, okay? Stay with me. Throughout the series, we've been talking about a place and a dynamic called the new heavens and the new earth. It's this beautiful promise that the scripture makes that one day, heaven and earth, something that is here and there, those two will become one. There will no longer be a here or a there. Heaven will come to earth. God will restore the earth. He will resurrect humanity. He will live among us in a very real way. That's the new heaven and the new earth. But that hasn't happened yet. And so there still is a separation between heaven and earth. There still is, right now in this moment, a here and a there. And so when you die right now, or if others in your life that you know have died, they move from here to there. First of all, it's only your soul that makes the move. The Bible makes it clear that when we die, it's only our soul or our spirit that will move from heaven or from the earth to heaven. It won't be our bodies. It won't be anything material or physical. There's a lot of verses that make this clear. 1 Peter 3.19, it's an interesting verse, but it says that right before his resurrection, after his death and before his resurrection, it says this, that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. Some believe that to mean that Jesus literally went down to hell and preached a sermon. probably wasn't a very long sermon. It probably was two words, I win. But it was a sermon nonetheless. But he preached to the spirits in that place. Other verses that, that, that speak to uh, the spiritual realm in heaven. Uh, when Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7, he said these words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul, talking about his own death, says we're confident and we would prefer to be away from our body and at home with the Lord. The clearest example, though, that we have a soul, a spirit, an immaterial, spiritual part of us that will immediately go to heaven is found in Isaiah 14. Look at this verse with me. The realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations, they will all respond. They will all say to you, you now have become weak. As we are, you have become like us. So this is hard to fathom. There's a, there's a lot of depth to this and a lot of complicated language, but I just hope that you can see the scripture kind of teaches this idea that you have a spirit and a body. The body's not bad. We talked about that several weeks ago. But when you die and your body goes into the ground, your spirit does not go with it. Your spirit immediately goes to heaven. Now I say immediately on purpose because there is an argument out there called soul sleep. 
it's what some would say happens when you die, that when you die, you literally just fall asleep. And you stay asleep until the day comes when Jesus returns. And Jesus' voice is like an alarm clock in your life. Hey, Thomas, wake up, and bam, you're alive again. Now, that argument exists because in the scripture, death is often compared to what? Sleep. Even Jesus says that on occasion, right? The young woman who was dead, he encouraged her family, don't be upset, don't be discouraged. She's merely asleep. Yes, that's true, but I don't think they meant you will fall asleep when you die or that you stay asleep when you die. And here's, here's why I say that. The entirety of Scripture teaches something very different. We don't have time to get into all the details, but there's a lot of verses out there that talk about your soul and your spirit immediately going to heaven. There's no gap and no nap in between, okay? Christ himself told the thief on the cross what? Today, today you will be with me. In paradise. That has immediacy, does it not? That, that speaks of right now. There's a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Both these two guys die, and the story seems to suggest that immediately they are both taken to their eternal destinations. And then, of course, you have the story of Elijah the prophet and Jesus himself. When their time on the earth was done, they went right to heaven. It doesn't say that Jesus slept or that Elijah slept. They just went straight to where they were supposed to go. So it appears that after you die, your soul the immaterial part of you that makes you, you, that part of you immediately upon your last breath on this earth goes to heaven. There's no waiting, no sleeping, no purgatory, no rest, no, no cleansing, okay? Now, if I haven't confused you already, I'm gonna really do that now. You go immediately, your soul goes immediately to something called the present heaven. Now, I know this is going to sound strange, but, but just stay with me for a second. God created heaven. It's kind of weird for us to think about, isn't it? But what's true of all the cosmos, of all the universe, of all everything on the earth is true with heaven. God made it. It didn't exist before him. He doesn't have to live there if he doesn't want to. He literally made heaven. 1 Kings 19.15, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So because he made it, because he's the creator of it, he has authority over it, which means he can do whatever he wants to with heaven. Now, he's not like a, an angry little uh, you know, school kid who's like, that's my ball, I'm going home, I'm taking it and going home. Well, heaven is God's, but he's not just going to take it from us and, and do whatever he wants with it, but, but he could. Instead, what he's going to do with heaven is what he's going to do with the earth. He's going to recreate heaven. He's going to make it even better than it is now. And the heaven, we talk about eternal heaven. We're talking about that place when heaven and earth become one, where we live in resurrected bodies on a real earth in, in front of a real Jesus. That, that's what eternal heaven is like. So now it's kind of a temporary heaven. It's the place where God dwells, so it's still better than this place, but it's not the eternal heaven. You with me? I know it's hard to, hard to fathom, but let's talk through this a little bit more. Our loved ones then, right? The question might be asked. Those who have passed away before, are they in a better place well, of course, this present heaven, what exists now as heaven, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's in God's very presence. It's there you will encounter Jesus. It's there you'll be in the company and presence of angels. You'll be reunited with the spirits of loved ones. Of course, it's better than here. But it's not the fullness of heaven yet. Right? Those who are in heaven right now, even though they have it better than us, even though they're in heaven, they haven't received the resurrected body. They're not living upon a restored earth. And they haven't lived out or in their most glorious state yet. And so, get this. 
they are looking forward to and longing for the second coming of Jesus just as much as we are. Those in heaven want Jesus to return to the earth as well because it's in that moment where the present heaven is transformed and renewed into the eternal heaven. You with me? It's good right now. I mean, life on this earth for most of us is pretty good right now. We get a taste of heaven in different ways, do we not? I mean, a T-bone steak cooked in butter? Come on, right? That is a taste of heaven. So we get a taste of it here. The present heaven is not only a taste of heaven. I think it's, it's, it's a whole plate. It's a buffet of heaven, but that's not even the fullness of heaven that God has in store. Those who have died and gone before, they're definitely in a better place, but they're not in the best place yet. There will come a day when Jesus returns, when all of the promises come to fruition, where all of the glory comes to a head, and where those who are dead will be alive again with a body on the earth in front of Christ and with us. You with me? So the present heaven, it's a great place. It's where God dwells. It's where those who have been faithful and died before dwell now as as well. It's a great place, but it's only temporary. There's gonna come an even better one. All right, so what happens when you die? The short and long answer of it, your soul immediately goes to the present heaven. If you have questions about that, email me. I'll do my best to to clarify. Question number two, and it's one that, that is closely associated with this. Can those who have already died see what's happening on the earth? Can those who have already died see what's happening on the earth? How many of you ever had a parent or a teacher who you swore had eyes in the back of their head? I think they just see everything. I had one, Mrs. Pearson, fifth grade. I mean, I kid you not, she would sit in the corner of the barracks. She wouldn't even turn around and look at us and she would know exactly what we were doing at just the right moment. Thomas, stop that. Marcos, put that down. Jeff, stop messing with the girls. How did you see us? You're not even looking at us. They could see everything. She could see everything. And some would argue that those who are in heaven, maybe they have that same ability. Now, the thought that those who have died and gone to heaven, the thought that they are somehow watching over us now or looking at us, it's encouraging at one level, is it not? But it's also really creepy at another level. Am I the only one that thinks that? It's kind of like big brother watching over you. Yeah, plus grandma and grandpa and Uncle Jim and Aunt Susan. It's like, this is, even when I go to the restroom, like you're watching, ah! So I'm not 100% convinced that those who have died and are in heaven have access to everything on the earth. I'm not sure they see or know everything. In fact, God is the only one that that is true for, right? He's the only one that sees and knows all. But the scripture makes it pretty clear those who are in heaven, they can see some things on the earth. Let me show you what I mean. Luke 15, 7. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 church-going folks who don't even need to repent. So it seems that those who are in heaven, they know, they, they realize, and they get really excited about the fact that certain people on the earth are coming to know Christ. That people who didn't have a faith before are developing a faith. I don't know how this works. Maybe there's an announcement over the PA system in heaven. Maybe there's a big scoreboard and your name goes across the screen. Like, oh, Thomas, yes! That took you a while, right? I don't know. But somehow those in heaven can see and know when someone is placing their faith in heaven, when someone's gonna go to heaven. That's pretty cool, if you ask me. Another passage that speaks to those in heaven kind of watching over us or seeing us is Hebrews 12.1. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse has a phrase, this great cloud of witnesses. It refers to uh, men and women of old, those who have lived faithful Christian lives, who have died and gone to heaven before us. They now surround us. And the language of this passage is really like, like, like a sports arena, like a stadium. And this great cloud of witnesses is like the crowd in the arena, and they're cheering you on. And so somehow, Hebrews 12.1 is telling us that, that those who have died and are in heaven are cheering those of us who are left on the earth. They're cheering us on. They're encouraging us. They can see us in such a way where they know, like, persevere, Thomas. Please, just keep going. You're so close. Don't give up now. So they can see you when we're having trouble in our faith when we need a little boost from the crowd. The last verse I want to share with you on this topic is Revelation 6.10. It says this, those in heaven called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? A little dark, a little creepy, but let me give you a little context. This verse is simply speaking to those who have been martyred in the Christian faith. Right? Those who have been killed because of Christ. And it says that when they go to heaven, they cry out to God, when are you going to enact justice on the earth? When are you going to make all the wrong things that happened to us? When are you going to make those things right? And the fact that they're asking those questions proves to me that, that they're looking at the earth and they notice it hasn't happened yet, right? They can see that their captors, their killers are still running free, that, that nothing has happened to them. So all these verses, as well as a handful of others, they, they kind of hint at the fact, not a foolproof argument, but they hint at the fact that those in heaven can see at one level or another the affairs of the earth. Those who have gone on before us are somehow watching over us. And again, I hope that doesn't totally creep you out, all right? But there's limitations. The answer is yes, but. Limitations, restrictions at some level, I imagine. All right, question number three on our FAQs about heaven. What about marriage? Marriage. All right, the speaker at a particular woman's group was lecturing one afternoon on marriage, and she asked the audience of, of ladies, a huge group of ladies, how many of them thought it was a good idea to mother their husbands? Well, one lady in the back actually raised her hand. The speaker said, you, you think, you honestly think it's okay to mother your husband? And the woman said, oh, mother? I thought you said smother. You see, marriage, however good or bad, it's a big part of our world, is it not? And God has designed it to be that way. Marriage is designed to teach us, train us, shape us, and mold us into the people that God wants us to become. But according to Jesus, it's only going to be true here on the earth. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked by a group of, uh, of religious folk, a group known as the Sadducees, a very difficult question. This group doesn't believe in the resurrection. They really don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in the afterlife so much. And so they come to Jesus, and they try, to, they try to trap him. They try to pin him in a very difficult spot. They say, okay, Jesus, you believe in the afterlife and heaven and the resurrection. Well, we got a question for you. Let's say a woman gets married, and her husband, well, he dies one day. So she marries the brother. Well, he dies too. And guess what happens? That happens to the next five husbands she has. Well, who's she going to be married to in heaven? Jesus. And you can almost hear him kind of say, eat that, sucker," Right? Like it's trash talking, biblical style. Well, Jesus isn't caught off guard. He poses a question back to them and actually kind of flips the problem back on them. He says this, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 29. But Jesus replied to them, 
you're all wrong because you know neither the scripture, which clearly teach the resurrection, nor the power of God, for he is able to raise the dead. And in the resurrection, neither do men marry nor are women given in marriage. They are like the angels in heaven who don't marry or produce children. Now, I know this is not super romantic, right? This is not going to find its way in the next Nicholas Sparks novel. Uh, but according to Jesus, there won't be marriage in heaven, at least not in the way that we know and experience it now. Why not? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. Why won't there be marriage in heaven? Genesis 1.28, God makes it clear that one of the main purposes of marriage is procreation. Remember what he told Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply, meaning have babies, lots of them. Well, we're not going to have that need in heaven. Another reason God gave us marriage is to help us become more like Jesus. Uh, there was a young woman who was applying for a civil service job. Her maiden name was Green, so she wrote that on there. Then it asked for her, her, her married name, which was also Green. So she wanted to clarify. She said, I was green before marriage. That's true for all of us. We're all a little green before marriage, are we not? And Ephesians 5 tells us that the husband and wife relationship helps us to mature, helps us to grow, to develop into the people God wants us to become. This passage in Ephesians 5 talks about husband. It's your right and your responsibility to one day uh, present your bride to Christ in a beautiful, holy, unblemished way. So men, your responsibility is to make her more and more like Jesus. Well, there will come a day where you don't have to do that job anymore. There will come a day where she will be just like Jesus. Finally, marriage is a depiction of Christ's love for the church. Right? Ephesians 5.32 says this, this mystery of two people becoming one in marriage, it's a great mystery. But I'm speaking about Christ and the church, Paul says. And so God gave us this, this analogy, this depiction, this model. How much does God love us? How devoted is he to us? How far is he willing to go for us? Marriage. Marriage is this beautiful example, this picturesque ideal. This is God's love for us. Well, there will come a day we don't need a picture of it anymore. There will come a day we don't need an example of it anymore. There's going to come a day where we live in the fullness of it. You with me? So the things that marriage accomplishes here on the earth, they won't be necessary in heaven. So the answer, the short answer is, will marriage be a part of heaven? No, but, but. That's not to say that my spouse and I won't have a very special, unique, and intimate connection in heaven. One, that's, one that we don't share with other people. Does that make sense? See, Becca, my wife, she knows more about me than anybody else, man. She's the one that I share and do life with. I mean, she's the only one that really gets me. She's the only one who doesn't yell at me for all my idiosyncrasies. She puts up with the snoring. She's okay with the balding, right? I mean, this is a great woman. She laughs at all the corny jokes. <laughs> Except for that one. Okay. There's a special bond that we share as husband and wife, and I'm confident that there will be a special bond that we share in heaven as well. But here's the thing. I believe that the beauty and power of marriage it's to show the world how connected people can be, how unconditionally in love people can be. Uh, devotion and, 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 and servitude. Right? Marriage is designed to depict these characteristics. Well, guess what? Those characteristics are going to be a part of every relationship in heaven. But I can't even begin to fathom that. Unconditional love, servitude, connectivity, dependability. That's going to be true with everybody, towards everybody. So marriage is special and always will be, 
but all the other relationships are gonna be transformed in a pretty powerful way too. All right, last question. Question number four, then we'll get you out of here. Will heaven be boring? Come on, you know, you've asked it. Being bored is no fun. I don't care what age you are. You could be two or 92, but when you're bored, man, the world just stinks. I came across the following list of things that people have suggested you try to alleviate boredom. Here we go. Number one, randomly scream at someone, you are one of them, and then back away slowly. First service was like really creeped out by that. They did not laugh at all. It's like, I hope second service gets it. That's funny. All right, number two, go to PetSmart, buy some bird seed, ask an employee how long it will take for the birds to grow. Just shake things up a little bit, right? Number three, when the money at the ATM starts coming out, yell, I won, I won, I won. All right, number four, change your Facebook name to no one and then like people's statuses. That's, that's pretty good. That, that is pretty good. And number five, haven't tried this, but I'm going to now. Freeze Mentos in ice cubes, place cubes in people's soda, sit back and watch. That's a good trick right there. I'm glad the teens, most of the teens aren't here for that one because we'd, be, we'd all be in trouble. So we all deal with boredom in this life, do we not? Well, guess what? You won't deal with boredom in the afterlife. For one, heaven won't be an eternal, unending church service. Right? Most of us fear that it's just going to be like this all the time forever, this unending hymn sing. Even for pastors, that doesn't sound enjoyable. So it's not boring because it's not church forever. Now, will worship be a part of what we do in heaven? Of course. Think about what Kim was saying before. Right? When you are excited about something, you just kind of erupt in worship. Worship is a great way to culminate in experience, right? To experience the fullness of something. When we're in heaven, there's going to be those moments when, when you see that, that beautiful sky or when you see that new baby, whatever on the earth causes you to erupt in praise, you will feel that way forever, all the time. So worship and praise will just be something that we just do and that we give to him. It doesn't have to be in church with the choir and with the band, all right? We're going to be praising a lot. It's going to be okay. It's going to be natural. It's going to be the most appropriate response. But it's not the unending church service, Okay. So it won't be boring for that reason. Secondly, it won't be boring because it's not going to be static, meaning that heaven's not just going to stay the same. You could disagree with me, and that's just fine, but I believe that in heaven there's going to be growth, there's going to be advancement, there's going to be new things. Right? Heaven won't be boring because there's a lot of stuff we have yet to discover, that we've yet to do. The scripture t speaks about probing the depths of God's love, learning new things about the Lord, experiencing new wonders. I just think heaven's not going to be static or stay the same. It's going to be constantly changing and new and different. Plus, heaven's not going to be boring because there's a lot of work to be done in heaven. Now, I know that for some, work is a four-letter word, right? The ugliest, nastiest, foulest, most offensive four-letter word in our language. It's like, no, work. But think about this. Work was given to Adam and Eve. Work was given to humanity before the fall, before sin entered the picture. God said, hey, Adam and Eve, I've got a job for you. I've got a task for you to do. I've got work that needs to be done. I want you to rule over the earth. I want you to care for and tend the created order, the things that I've made and I'll put in your control. And then sin and Satan come through and they distort work. They make it something that's hard something that's not enjoyable, something that we don't look forward to, but work is so good. Work is of God. I mean, the Lord worked for six days. It's what he does. It's what he created us to do. 
And Adam and Eve were given this great responsibility in the garden to work the earth, to oversee the earth. And guess what? In heaven, you will be given the same responsibility. But here's the great joy of that statement. You'll actually be able to do it. You will do it well. See, Adam and Eve failed in their responsibility. You will not. You will rule and reign over the earth. Let me ask you a question. Maybe not a show of hands, kind of awkward, but how many of you have ever received an inheritance of some sort? Maybe something big, something small. How many of you want to receive an inheritance? You go ahead and raise your hand now, right? How many of you are going to put West Bowles in your inheritance so that we get a big chunk of that? No hands, people. Okay. Well, don't worry if you've never received an inheritance here because you will receive one in heaven. I promise you that. Matthew 5, 5, look at this language. Jesus himself says this. God blesses those who are humble and they will inherit the whole earth. And it speaks to the earth not being destroyed and going away. It speaks to the earth being renewed and then actually given and gifted to us. What Jesus is saying here is he's going to once again give his people the responsibility of caring for his created world. Right? The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. Jesus paid for it all. Jesus gives it back to God. Then God gives it back to us. This is an amazing God that we serve. We messed it up. We destroyed it. And he was like, hey, I'm going to give it to you again. I want you to work the earth. I want you to rule and reign over it. This isn't just a one-time thing. This language of ruling and reigning and overseeing it's all throughout Scripture. Daniel 7, 18. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High, they will be given the kingdom. They will rule forever and ever. Revelation 22.5, there will be no night in heaven, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on his people and they will reign forever and ever. Think back to the story of the talents with me in Luke 19. It's a story we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks on Father's Day. But these, these two guys are really faithful with the things they've been given, their talents, their possessions. They use them for God in very godly ways. And you remember what the reward was for being so faithful? Look at this language with me. Well done, my good servant, Luke 19, 17. His master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, here's a little blue ribbon. No. Because you've been very trustworthy in a very small matter, here's a little fake golden trophy. No. Because you've been faithful, because you've been faithful, he says this, take charge of 10 cities. I mean, that's quite the reward. The guy was faithful with some money over here. He used the money wisely, and the reward was being able to rule and reign over 10 cities. Now, is that literal? I don't know, but it seems as if taken, uh, when you take the entire biblical narrative, we will rule in heaven. We will have great authority in heaven. We will have leadership opportunities in heaven. There will be a lot of work to be done and we will be responsible for it in heaven. So don't worry, you're not gonna be bored, okay? Although I do hope that frozen Mentos are still a part of heaven because that would just be funny. Especially plop one in Jesus Coke, like that's just awesome. All right, so there you have it. Those are my best attempts at answering four of, of heaven's FAQs. I know there are a lot of others out there. Uh, chances are you have a question about our resurrected bodies. Like what will the body be like when it is reunited with the spirit? We have a lot of questions about animals. Uh, I've answered a lot of those questions in previous messages. So if you have a question like that, go back and listen to the series. Hopefully some of those things were answered for you uh, in those settings. But the hope and the goal is to fix our eyes on heaven. 
even if we have a lot of questions about it, even if it doesn't make perfect sense to us, the hope and the goal is to set our hearts and to set our gaze on the place that is yet to come. Because Hebrews eleven sixteen says that God is not ashamed to be called the God of those whose fix is heaven. He is not ashamed. He's actually proud to be called the God of those who are looking forward to the celestial city because he's working so hard to prepare it. He died so you could go to it and so now he wants us just to look forward to it and to think about it. Heaven, I can't wait. I don't know about you. Let me pray over that and we'll get, we'll get you out of here. God, we thank you for the promise of heaven. We thank you for the descriptions of heaven. But more than that, we just thank you for the reality of heaven, Lord. It is as real as this plastic pulpit is, God. It's not just some sort of a grandiose idea that we came up with to make ourselves feel better about life and death. Heaven's not our idea. Heaven is your idea because it's real, because it awaits all of us who believe. And so this morning, we just want to thank you for heaven. And for those of us who have never humbled ourselves before you, for those of us who have never said, man, I'm broken. I need someone to fix me. I'm lost. I need someone to find me. Would we do that now? Because heaven Heaven is going to be there for everyone and anyone who believes in Jesus and asks him to come and save their soul. So make it so now, God, that we don't just talk about heaven, but make it so that all of us will eventually go to heaven. Thank you for the life that we share now, that we enjoy now, but thank you more so for the life that is yet to come. We can't even begin to fathom what it will be like. We can't wait. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, church. Have an amazing day, an amazing weekend. Uh, We'll see you guys very soon. God bless.